Morning, Cornerstone. My name is Dan. I just consider it a huge privilege to be here this morning to share with you. I know it's a special day. I uh, contemplated bringing my, uh, the, the jersey I made, the number 12 with Rodgers on it on the back for the Broncos next year. It's like a prophetic statement that I'm making for the Super Bowl next year that we're going to be there. So uh, I thought that'd be a little too outrageous for today. So I just stuck with what I have. Yeah, I want to tell you about something really amazing that happened last night. Um, we had a kids' night out that was put on by actually one of our high schoolers, Anya Mulvaney. And um, it, was, it was part of her kingdom assignment. We, started, we did that a few weeks ago where we handed out money. And she took her $100 bill. She invested that in this party. And if you go over to the chapel right now, there's still enough for like four more parties. She got like thousands of dollars donated in toys and gifts and stuffed animals. And it was amazing. We had 30 kids here. They were impacted by the Marshall Fire and they were here. And she also brought like middle schoolers and high schoolers and adults that were also here. They had a giant party. It was amazing. Um, we were able to just love on these kids, let them shop and get things that have been destroyed from their houses. And it was just an amazing thing. The kingdom assignment, we're hearing stories starting to come out of how people are being creative with the money and investing it. And I just can't wait to share all the stories with you. It's been really, really cool. Um, well, the focus of this series as we get started this morning has been the reality that God is our ever-present help in times of trouble. It comes out of Psalm 46, and we have tried so many times, like a ridiculous amount of times to pivot and to move on from these sermons of times of trouble, and it feels like it's just been an impossible task over the last couple years. So as we start today, we come to the close of this series. I just want to read this Psalm one more time. I just want to let it soak in, take a moment, just take a breath. We kind of center around God's word this morning. So we read Psalm 46. It says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And therefore we will not fear, though the earth, earth gives way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And I've been thinking about this concept and idea for weeks now. And what I think is amazing is that we have been created in the image and likeness of God, our creator. And it's our job to represent him and to carry out his good work in the world. And if that's the case, then in times of trouble, as people created in his image and likeness, we need to be an ever-present help to the people around us that are hurting. Now, the problem I see with all of this is that we can't pick and choose when a pandemic shows up on the earth. No one tells us how to calendar when a fire is going to come and destroy our city. We're just forced into these things, and then we're forced to react. So today, I want to focus on our time on talking about the importance of being a healthy person in times of crisis, so that we can be an ever-present help to people in times of trouble. 
We just need healthy people desperately at this time in our story. And when the world is crumbling around us and everything feels like it's falling apart, we need healthy people that are there with wisdom. And when my world feels like it's falling apart, do you guys have somebody you call in times of crisis? I call my dad. My dad is like, he's this well of wisdom. He's almost annoying how like cool and calm and collected he is in the, in the times of crisis. So I call him and he just like brings the temperature down. Just hearing his voice on the phone just allows me to relax and realize that it's going to be okay. I contact him quite often. When I'm talking about being a healthy person, I'm not talking about your gym rat that like works out all day, you know, and eats a lot of boiled chicken. I'm, I'm talking about like the healthy people in your life that you go to in times, it's probably not a bad idea to be fit, but what I'm saying is these are the type of people that I'm talking about. I'm talking about people that know the pace that they need to run life at. They understand their limits. I'm talking about people with a clear plan that aren't overwhelmed in the midst of crisis, and I'm talking about people that see life with perspective, that realize that God is always at work, even in the hardest seasons of life. So I want to look closely at these three qualities of people that we look to. I'm sure there's probably 57 qualities that we look for health in healthy people, but I really just want to kind of laser focus in on these three today. So let's start with this one. I want to start with people that know the pace that they need to run life at. If we don't understand our pace and how we're supposed to run this life that we've been given, we are doomed to burn out, and especially during crisis. We'll just be running from one crisis to the next crisis, just putting out fire after fire after fire. <clears throat> um, I'm a Enneagram 2. Does anyone understand the Enneagram? Uh, okay. We can be really amazing and we can be absolutely terrifying in crisis. And Enneagram 2, it's a personality assessment that gets at the, the core motivations that drive you. And as an Enneagram 2, I have the need to be needed. A lot of pastors fall into this category. We're scary sometimes. We just have this desperate need to be needed. And there's this sense that we're always stepping into situations and saying, like, how can I help? What do you need? I'm here for you. I got you. See, the problem with that in crisis is we can be really helpful until we're not. Because we can just be running around like crazy, and at a certain point, we get burnt out. And then what happens is we start producing results that are like 50%. We get really frustrated with ourselves. We're like, oh, there's just too much to do. I'm overwhelmed. But then on top of that, we turn it and make it like sick because we start getting irritated with everyone else that isn't running at the, like, the overwhelmed pace that we're running at. So uh, like we're frustrated with ourselves that we can't do it, but then we're looking at everyone else and we're like, what's wrong with you? Any other Enneagram twos in the house? All right. Pace yourself. <laughs> it, it's a hard time for us. I just feel like so quickly we can get thrown off in the midst of crisis. I know a few good uh, runners and they're never influenced by the runners around them. I mean, obviously, I'm a runner. So um, 
I know just a few other good runners in my life. And what I, what I notice when you, when you ever run into a good runner, they just understand pace, don't they? They don't look at everyone else around them like, oh, I'm falling behind. They're like, I know my pace. I know my mouth splits. I know my limits. I know when I'm supposed to push. I'm not affected by everybody else. And I feel like that's kind of the, the stance we need to take in the midst of crisis. No matter how crazy everything else is, we say, no, 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 I know my pace and what I need to be running at to get through this. I've trained for this. I know, I know my limits. You guys ever watched the kids Uganda race that we throw here at the church? It's amazing. We do it over at Fairview. They raise money for Uganda development, and it is awesome. Kids don't understand pace, like even close. You got kids in like a four-point stance, you know what I mean? Like when you set up for a marathon, like no one's ever in a stance like that. But these kids, all that matters to them is they are the first ones out of the gate, and they are going to be the winners in their mind, you know? And it's usually like the first turn, they're blazing out there. They're like, yes. Halfway around, you see a few of them that are like in the football field, like, oh, you know, like, and that's all it took for them to like completely burn out. And someone's like, I was promised Gatorade. You know, like that's what the kids are doing, like after the first run. And then there's a few that are a little older that have done this before. This isn't my first rodeo. And they're just kind of cruising. They're the ones that like make all the laps. It's awesome. If you haven't gone, you have to go see them. I think if we want to look at an example for pace, we need to look at the example of Jesus. He had a beautiful rhythm to his ministry, and let's just call it his pace, okay? But he was so intent in his ministry and gave all of himself to his ministry, but he had many times where he would go back and forth into rest and retreat. He knew he needed time with the Father, so he would spend tons of time with people and then retreat and be away and spend time to rest and retreat. I have a few scriptures that I'm gonna put on the screen if you wanna write them down and look through them later this week, that'd be great. In Luke 5, 16, it says that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. Jesus knew the weight of his ministry and often he would get away to lonely places by himself just to be refreshed and renewed by the Father. In Mark 6, Jesus sent his 12 disciples out to do ministry, and when they returned, he encouraged them to separate from all the crowds that were coming and to rest. He knew that they needed to reset. In Matthew 14, Jesus learned that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been beheaded, and he spent time to get away and just to grieve, to mourn the loss. In Matthew, uh, sorry, Before making an important decision in Luke 6, Jesus spent the whole night in prayer alone, and the next day he chose his 12 disciples. In a time where he knew this is critical for my ministry, the people that I'm choosing to follow me, he spent the whole night in prayer to make that decision. And in a time of distress in Luke 22, before Jesus was arrested, he went to the Mount of Olives. He went a short distance away from his disciples to pray because he knew what was about what he was about to face. He knew that the toughest time in his whole life was in front of him. And he said, I have to get alone with the Father. I think it's so important that we take time to rest and retreat to keep our pace manageable. It can get so out of control, especially in these times of chaos. 
So I'm encouraging today to get away when things are stressful and you need to make a big decision. You need to get out and take a walk and spend some time in prayer. If you just need to step out of your office for a second and just take a moment, like this is a giant meeting. God, you got to be here with me. I encourage you to take those moments to get away. I encourage you to take a day a week and just Sabbath and realize that the frenetic pace that you run life at is not manageable and that God is in control and you can take a day to just enjoy him and enjoy your family and enjoy your friends. I also encourage you to take your vacations and to get away and really rest and rejuvenate. Have fun. Um, I'm, I'm the project manager for the building that's happening, so throw all of your complaints and arguments on, my, on me. I, I'll take it all. I know it's taking a little longer than we thought. But we actually are entering the, the home stretch. I hope you can see that by looking out there. And um, I knew... I was looking at my calendar, I knew what the finish date was, and I was like, okay, I've got to find a window to get away for a week, because I, if I just have to have my head down this whole time, I'm going to get so burnt out by the end of this. No one is even going to be, want to be around me. And so a couple weeks ago, my wife and some friends, we got away, and it was awesome. And it was exactly what I needed, and now I feel like I'm set and ready to go, put my head down, we can get to the finish line. But it's so important that we take those, those times to rest. And one thing I know for sure is that times of crisis and when everything feels like it's falling apart, that's not the time to get healthy, Right? Health is more like a reservoir or a well that you go to when everything dries up. When everything is falling apart, you go to those reserves that you have as a healthy person. And if you want a surefire way to kill your pace in life, this is, this is uh, the ingredients. Mix in a lot of watching the news and a ton of social media. That is a surefire way to just like absolutely kill your pace. There's no way to keep up with it. It's a constant onslaught, a 24-7 news cycle that's just telling you bad news over, there's so much bad news in the world and they just keep hammering it out to you. So you have, you have this, this news cycle that never stops with bad news, but then social media is on the other side and it's, it's just shame, you know? It's like you're not doing it enough. Why haven't you posted about this? Don't you care about the things going on in the world? And so you have this news cycle that's like, everything's crazy. And social media is like, you're not doing enough. And it's this like cocktail of, I feel horrible about myself. So if you want to really lose your pace, just spend a ton of time in those two areas. And I promise you it'll happen. We have a global pandemic, political upheaval, uh, climate change, race, race inequality, poverty, gun, gun violence, and war. There's no shortage of bad news in the world. Can I get a witness? Here's the other problem. We have all this bad news, but on the other side of the, of the coin, there's a ton of great and amazing things happening in the world. And what's nuts is that can kill your pace as well. It's overwhelming keeping up with the amount of good things that are happening in the world and the amount of good things that we can be involved with. Even staying up with just the ministries that are happening in this one church, Cornerstone Boulder. If we gave ourselves to every single thing that we were involved with here at this church, you would absolutely burn out. 
Here's just a little list. Marshall Fire Support, helping with Afghan refugees, reconciliation work in Israel, community development in Uganda, helping with sex trafficking in Mexico. You can work with kids, students, 1825. You can help out with foster care and adoption, mental health, counseling and care, not to mention all the missionaries that we support all the way around the world. It's totally overwhelming, even the amount of things that you can get involved with right here. Sometimes the good things in life can kill our pace. Kingdom assignment that we did a few weeks ago can feel totally overwhelming. You're like, are you kidding me? You just gave me $100 and I have to help one person? Do you know how many people are hurting right now? How can I just help one person? That can feel overwhelming. Am I stressing you out yet? <laughs> I, that's not the goal, I promise. And I'm going to give you a tool right now. Um, there's a friend of ours who's a pastor here in town. His name is Steve Cuss. He leads this um, whole ministry called Managing Leadership Anxiety. That's awesome. And he took our whole um, pastoral team and we, he trained us on some techniques that they use in managing anxiety. And he was trained as a hospital chaplain. And he said that their training, when they were training them as chaplains, he said that one of the things that they would do is anytime that a code came out and ringing out throughout the hospital, that meant right away that something horrible is happening. And that, he, that as a chaplain, you are about to get into a room with a bunch of people that are in absolute chaos. Families and patients and friends that are losing their minds. And you're about to step into that situation. And they want you to be present and healthy and ready to help. And he said that what they would do is they train them to take their own pulse. To just sit there. As soon as they heard that, they would just take their own pulse. Do it for just a second. I have no idea how to take your pulse. Is it up here? I don't even know what you do when you actually know what your pulse is. But they would sit there and get to a place where they were like, okay, I feel healthy enough now. I just, it's a moment to like pray, set yourself. Like I'm about to step into a room. This is gonna be crazy. It, just gave, it was a physical reminder before they went into that place. I'll tell you something that I've done in my own life. I've gone through a season where I was dealing with a person in my life that was absolutely overwhelming. And when they would call or text, it absolutely spun me out. Like, I, it, it would be a week to recover from this. And it was this constant thing that was happening over and over and over again. And I went into my phone, and I found that person's contact, and I made them a different ringtone. Literally. It's still that way. <laughs> I hope they don't call right now. When, so all through my day then, as I'm receiving text messages and calls, I can, I can know that's not them. That's not them. That's not them. When I heard that, like literally it would do something to me physically, but it would allow all the rest of the calls in my life to just be normal. That one, I sat and I gave it a moment before I even went to my pocket to pull out of my, out of my pocket. I was like, Lord, help me. I need perspective here. I need your help. It really allowed me to differentiate how I was receiving information from my phone, and it was awesome. So my question is, how do we become people that don't freak out by the amount of need during times of crisis? I think the second quality we look for in people is people with a clear plan. 
When the whole world is begging for our attention and recruiting us into the next crisis and the next crisis, we have to have a plan that tells us exactly what we've been put on earth to do. We gotta know what our plan is. Why are we here? What are the things God has given us to do? And I think even with a clear plan, there's only a couple things that we can actually make a difference with if we give our whole lives to those issues. We really have to focus our time and our attention. For my wife, Alyssa, and I, we've spent the last 20 years with a real heart for adoption. She spent a month when we were in college in Ukraine at an orphanage, and we knew that we wanted to build our family that way. And we've given our whole life to it. Two of our kids are adopted. We've started a nonprofit that helps people in the process of adoption because it's crazy expensive, and we wanted to help with that. 20 years of time, focus, and energy. And I feel like in that time, we've made a clear plan, like we're giving ourselves to this. And it's helped make a difference. People with a plan get really good at saying no so that they can say yes to the right things. Donald Miller, he's an author and businessman that I follow. Um, he says that in our society today, that saying no can be a superpower. And he said, hopefully, with the rest of his life, he, he hopes that he has 30 years left in his life, 30 good years that he could give himself to something. And he said something I thought was really profound. He said, I, I really just want to write three great stories with the rest of my life. He said, I want to be a really great family man. I want to encourage business leaders and, and encourage them in business. And I have some political aspirations that I want to start moving towards. And he said, if I give my whole life to those three stories, I think I can write three good stories left with the rest of my life. But what that does is it allows him to focus. It allows him to say no to so many other things because he says, these are the things that I want to give my time and attention to. Anne Lamont is another author that I, I read. She's awesome. She says that no is actually a complete sentence. And we need to start using it a lot more in our vocabulary. John Mark Comer, who wrote the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he said that life is a series of choices and every yes is a million no's. And we really have to look at our lives that way, especially in times of crisis, that our yeses really matter and we need to say no more often. The good news is this, and this is what's awesome. God's plan has been hardwired into the heart of every single person. And there's a sense in each one of us that the world is not the way it needs to be and things need to change. One of my favorite verses is uh, Ephesians 2.10. I think we have that. And the Apostle Paul says this. He starts out and he says, we are God's masterpiece. You can stop with that sentence and just hang on to that for a couple months. That's amazing. He says, we are God's masterpiece. Then he goes on to say, he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he has planned for us a long time ago. 
We've been created new in Christ Jesus so that we can do the the good things that he's planned for us since the creation of the world. He knew who we were going to be. He knew who everyone else was going to be. I know exactly who you are, Dan, and I know the things that you're going to do in your life. I know the things that you're going to be passionate about. It's awesome. He's always had a plan for your life, and he's also like hardwired and built in the passion to pull off those plans. Those things that keep you up at night and the passions that drive your life, that is God-given. He has planted that in you, and he's put that in you for a purpose. Because he has certain things that he wants, to, that he wants you to accomplish in this life. It's awesome, because then it just takes the pressure off. At that point, we're just saying yes. God, you've already put this in my heart. You've given me everything I need to pull this off. I just say yes. Our posture just becomes yes, and it takes the pressure off from everything else. Let's look at the example of Jesus one more time. He spent 30 years, his first 30 years, in pretty much obscurity. But when the time came, he gave all of his energy to the one assignment that God had given him to accomplish. He put all of his time and energy into the one assignment. In Luke 19, 9, he shares his plan. He says, I have come to seek and to save the lost. I've come to announce that the kingdom of God is here. It is among you. I am here and it is good news. It will save your life. And with that single-minded focus, it allowed him to move with confidence, even when he was faced with the most horrible things in his life, when he knew the cross was before him, when he knew his life was coming to an end. He could, with that plan, he could look ahead and say, I, I have to move on to Jerusalem, even though I know what's awaiting me there. I'll tell you what, if you don't have a clear plan, you're finding any other route other than Jerusalem. You're like, maybe there's another plan. I could probably go somewhere else and still do some good things. It's, our, it's that plan and it's that assignment on our life that says, no, I am focused on this and I'm gonna take it through even when things are hard. Now, let's contrast... Um, that single-minded focus of Jesus with one of his closest disciples, Peter, okay? When things started getting messy for Jesus, the wheels kind of fell off with Peter. In one of the hardest nights that Jesus was ever gonna have, he knew the end of his life was coming. He said, Peter, I just need you to come away with me and pray. I need a good friend right now. Will you just stay up and pray with me? This is the hardest thing that I'm ever gonna face, And he couldn't stay awake. Not only could he not stay awake, he ended up denying that he even knew Jesus on that night. Over and over again. One of his closest friends and disciples. One of the craziest stories in scripture is Peter when Jesus is getting arrested. It's like the... There's so much going on. And this Jesus is in the hardest time of his life and there's soldiers all around and they're coming to arrest him. And Peter's like, I got a plan. It's ear chopping off time. And he like wields a sword and chops the guy's ear off. And Jesus is like, Peter, have we not been hanging out for like three years? 
When has it ever been ear chopping off time? Like, that's not what we're doing here. I am headed, and the, the craziest thing in my life stands before you. I just need you to support me and be a friend. He's like, hey, I'm going to put your ear back out. I'm sorry about my friend. I appreciate the enthusiasm, Peter, but like, let's tone it down a little bit. That's not what we're doing right now. Can you see the difference? When you have a single-minded focus on the work that God has for us, it allows us to operate in the midst of crisis and hardships. And I really believe this, that like without that anchor in our lives tethering us, to what we should be doing, we can be swayed by anyone else's emotion or fear that would hold us back when we need to move forward. So I have just a couple questions that I think are good to ask ourselves in the midst of chaos. These are some you might wanna just run through this week. One of them is this. Am I supposed to give my time and attention to this issue? Is this something for me? You can ask yourself, do I have time and space to take on more right now? You can ask yourself this, will this take me away from the big yeses that I've already committed to in my life? Because even if this is a good thing, if it takes away the energy that I really need to be giving myself to, then maybe it's not the right thing. And here's kind of a twist on one that I think is really good. You can ask yourself this question. Can I support someone else that can actually handle this situation better than I can? And for an Enneagram 2, that's like kryptonite. It's like, who can handle this better than I can? Are you kidding me? In most cases, it's absolutely true that someone else can do it better than I can. Because those people have that passion and energy that Jesus has given. And most times, they have a better team. They have more time and space. They have the time, the resources, all the things. And maybe they've just been at it longer than you have. And the best thing that you could do is just shine a light on what they're doing and say, how can I support you? Can I just be a help to what you're doing? Because you're awesome and you've got this nailed. If we know the pace that we need to run life at and we stick to the plan that God has set before us, then the final step to being healthy in times of crisis is seeing life with perspective. People that see life with perspective are awesome. You can just be around them and kind of let your shoulders down like a breath of fresh air. I wanna go back to our illustration of the race, because we cannot view this life as a sprint. Just going from one crisis to the next crisis, we're, we're, I promise you, you're going to burn out. And this is an amazing scripture. Hebrews 12, it starts like this. It says, let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Let's run with endurance the race that God has set before us. It's an endurance race, and God has actually set it before us. He knows where the finish line, and he's given us all we need to actually finish the race. It's awesome. Run with endurance. It's not a sprint. 
He's set the race. He knows when it ends, and he's encouraging us along the way. In verse 2, it says, We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. I love that. Like, eyes fixed on Jesus in this race. Because what, we, what you cannot do in a race, again, because I am a runner. When you're running, you can't look side to side and, and concentrate on the people that are around you, right? I mean, could you imagine just your circumstances and crisis and life and other people that are running at a different pace? You're going to be all over the place if you're just focused on them. The other thing that you can't do in a race is just focus on yourself. Look at your feet, <laughs> You're not going anywhere. You can't see in front of you. You can't focus just on your own circumstances. So not the things happening around you or yourself. It's like eyes fixed on Jesus. He stands there at the end. He's gone before us. He knows the way. He's like just cheering us on as we're running. And we just keep our eyes focused on him. This is a long race. It's going to take a long time, but I keep my eyes focused on him. I love the picture. And then it says this. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. He knew the prize. He knew the joy that was awaiting him, and that outweighed all that he would have to suffer along the way. He knew how much he would have to suffer, and he saw the end of the race, and he said, it's worth it. I'm going for it. He endured all of that for us because he knew the joy that awaited him. And Eugene Peterson, who's like one of my favorite pastors, he recently passed away. He's an amazing guy. He called this life of following Jesus. It's one of the best phrases I think that's ever been said. But he called it a long obedience in the same direction. That his life, what he wanted to give himself to, was long obedience in the same direction. That this is an endurance race. It's gonna take just my whole life of obedience to Jesus. And in a world of instant gratification, what we really need in times like this is people that, which is a lifetime of saying yes to Jesus and moving towards him and moving towards other people. I believe strongly that short-term thinking in the midst of a pandemic and the world falling apart can leave you absolutely paralyzed because the need is way, way too overwhelming. There's so much going on. We have to have people with perspective. It allows us to say yes to the right things even when it's going to be really hard for us to get through to the other side. Eugene, uh, Eugene, Edward Friedman, who's a, who was a rabbi and a family therapist and a leadership consultant, he calls this type of person a non-anxious presence. Doesn't that feel like the kind of people we need right now? Non-anxious presence. At this moment in history, we just desperately need those people. I'm going to share with you a story that I think is hysterical. Um, so when I first moved out here, um, we lived in this place, and we moved out with a friend of ours, and her name was Emily from, uh, from Reading. She moved out with us. She lived in our basement for a few years. And um, I was at one of our restaurants one day, and, uh, and she calls, and it was, it was wild. Like, I, I answer the phone, and this is what I hear on the other side. It's just like, ah! 
And I was like, Emily? <laughs> and she was ah, there's water! I was like, where is the, what, what, what's going on? There's water everywhere! I was like, okay. She's like, the basement's flooding! And I was like, okay, now I know what's happening. And, and so right away, I was like, okay, five minutes, I'll be there. So I get in my car, I fly to our house, I run down the basement stairs, and she is standing there with the smallest trash can we have in our house. Like, it's this big. And she's standing in front of the water, and it is pouring into this thing. Like, just like overflowing out of this little tiny bucket. And I run down the stairs, and as someone that wasn't in the middle of the crisis with a little bit of perspective, I come down the stairs, and as I'm looking literally all around her within three feet, there's 17 tubs that are huge, like our giant like Christmas tubs and things, right, with the lids on. So I run down the stairs, I take the lid off, I empty the things, and I Emily, move out of the way. And I set it down, and then she's like, oh, thank you. And she like dumped her tiny little like trash can of water into this giant like 30 gallon tub that I had sitting there. But that is how crisis is, isn't it? Like it, it all just starts coming in around you and you're like, ah, grab the smallest thing I can and just try to make it better for five seconds. But with someone with perspective that isn't a part of all the, the chaos, they can come in really quickly and be like, what are you doing? That, those are the type of people we need that just come in, non-anxious presence. Hey, there's a tub right here. I'm really blown away that we save perspective and looking at life in the long term for funerals and like retirement parties. I'm a firm believer. I think we should... I think it could be helpful to like write our own obituaries for ourselves, like right now. Donald Miller, the guy I said I follow, he's written his own obituary. That's part of his morning ritual. He literally reads it every morning. Because <clears throat> you start asking yourself these questions like, what are the things that you want to be remembered for? What do you want people to say about your life? Are you giving a majority of your time and energy and resource to those things? Are you writing those last three great chapters in your life? I'm hoping you have a ton of time to write the whole rest of your story. And I hope you can look at it with perspective as a long endurance race and say, these are the things, this is my plan. So I just want to close, ask a few questions, just take a second, maybe take your pulse again, get ourselves centered a little bit, just take a breath, maybe close your eyes, let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us see our life with perspective. Holy Spirit, how is my pace? Am I running from crisis to crisis to crisis?
Do I need to slow down? Do I have a plan? Have I figured out the things that I need to say yes to in life so that I can say no to everything else? Am I living with perspective? Would anyone describe my life as long obedience in the same direction? I feel like once we feel clarity there, then we can ask just a few more practical questions. God, am I a healthy person in this season that has the ability to help others? I'm gonna be honest with you. I am not the healthiest I've ever been in my life right now. This has not been a lecture. This is more like group therapy. I feel like the Lord always is like, I'm gonna have you talk about something you're absolutely in the middle of. If you're not healthy right now, what are the, what are the steps that you need to take to get healthy? Then start asking questions like this. I know I can't help everyone, but is there one person that you put in my life that in this moment right now I can be a help to? And I know I can't get involved in everything, but is there a passion or a ministry, something that connects with those things that I know you have planned, the, those good works that you've planned in, planted in my heart long ago? Is there anything that lines up with that right now that I can get involved with? Holy Spirit, please show me the next right thing to do. And even if the answer is to slow down and to say no to some things and do less, I will do it because I just wanna live a life of obedience to Jesus. I just wanna keep saying yes when he calls me to do things. Let's take communion together. I think it's rituals like this that help us with our pace. We keep coming back to a table with the bread and the cup. It's our common union, it's our communion. It's what keeps us, it's a ritual that happens over and over and over again. It allows us to slow down and reevaluate so many times. Does my life line up with the life of Jesus, a life that was broken and a life that was poured out for other people? Am I a healthy person that can help people in my life right now? This is what we've been called to do. It's a constant reminder. It's our common yes that says, God, we are in this together and I'm committed to whatever it takes to say yes. Let's take the bread. Jesus, we thank you for your broken life and how you showed us the way. Let's take the cup. Jesus, we thank you for your poured out life and for the example that you show us. 
We thank you that you are in control, that you are always good. Help us to live a life of pace with a plan and perspective. Amen.